this is really a nice gift to these younger generations, a gift that you and I never had. The government never gave me 1400 bucks. They never gave a family of four, 5,600 bucks. We never had those opportunities. And what it's doing for these younger generations is it is giving them an opportunity to experience, taste, smell capitalism and what it means to invest in the stock market and get a couple wins. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Capitalist Investor. You got Diamond Hands, Derek, back after being out of the office. He picked a good week to be out of the office because we're shut down now. Yeah. How's it going, Mark? Good, man. A little virtual recording today. We had to oh, yeah. um, shut Look, down got the my office kid. and do a little disinfectant spring cleaning time, right, D? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I got my Capitalist Investor sweatshirt on here. Nice. If anyone's watching the video feed. Got the swag. It is awesome. And thanks to all of you who are writing positive reviews. And as it's 70 degrees in Cleveland, you guys are still asking for hoodies. That's cool. I, I, <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. I mean, there's times in the summer where I'll throw a hoodie on and go in the basement and get a workout in and try and burn a couple extra calories, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. The hoodies are for year-round wearing. <laughs> no so doubt. Don't disrespect the hoodie. <clears throat> and this bad boy is so comfortable. It is the best by far. I still can't find one in real life. Yeah. I'm trying to find another one. I don't think they exist anymore. I don't know if you noticed, but Nike changed the sizing on all of their apparel. Oh, really? Yeah. So everything that like used to be form-fitting is now like extra baggy and relaxed. It's weird. Pants that I've been buying for years to work out in, all of a sudden I got them and they were like completely baggy, same size and those hoodies fit differently. It's very strange what they did. I don't know if if they just had an off quarter where they mismarked everything, or if they are changing style permanently. That's strange. But in any event, let's get into today's topic. Enough about that. Right. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about this latest stimulus program, right? Yep. So looks like 1.9 trillion was Biden's latest, well, I shouldn't say Biden's, it was the latest stimulus package that was passed, the $1,400 per person. As of the recording of this video, probably about a week ago, started hitting people's bank accounts. So if you think about it, a family of four is getting 5,600 bucks dropped into their lap. Now, obviously there are income requirements as to who qualifies for that. But you know, if you think about it, D, like let's talk millennials or Gen Zers, the guys and gals fresh out of college, maybe they're 28 years old, they've been working for a few years. Chances are they fall underneath that income threshold. That's not 100%, right? But the majority of them are going to fall within that threshold. So, you know, I think this is probably an episode that is going to relate more probably to the Gen Zers and the millennials in that even the study that we're looking at here, D, of that 1.9 trillion, not all of it was stimulus checks, right? A chunk right. was. Some of it was, in my opinion, wasteful spending. I don't see why $350 billion went to state and local governments. If you think about it, D, local governments they make their money off uh, real estate taxes. I don't know if you got the letter from your county auditor, but I did. And they raised the value of my house on me and my tax bill went up. Did that happen to you? It has not happened yet, but I'm well, expecting it will. It, it will. <laughs> You're going to get got too. Okay. Oh yeah. So local governments made more money last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. State governments, when you look at the top 15 largest states, ex-California, state governments were down less than 1% as it relates to tax revenue. I think that was like five to $10 billion max, but they needed 350 billion. Mm -hmm. So I think what they did there is they ended up bailing out 
states that were mismanaging their budget to begin with. Right. Exactly. That's really what that was for. All right. So, anyways, the 1400 bucks that people are getting in a recent report that looked at people between 35 and 54 years old, they're planning to spend 37% of their stimulus checks on stocks. Okay. Right. So, of all the people interviewed between 35 and 54, of that $1,400, 37% of that $1,400 is going to find a home in the stock market. Crazy. I mean, obviously, they don't need the money. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any text recently? or maybe even last year when the first round of stimulus hit, asking you for your hot stock tips? Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like everyone came Dude. out of the woodwork all at once, right? You know, I've been doing this yeah. for a while now. And, you know, if I'm at someone's house you know, or at a party or something like that, you know, a conversation may go that way. But yeah, all of my friends, you know, all my golfing buddies, everyone started asking for the stock tips, you know, and I think it's really two different, you know, I think it's definitely the stimulus on one side. But I think it's also become, I don't know how to say it, but more popular, you know, to yeah. trade stocks and talk about it because, you know, let's face it, you know, we're reopening now, but there's still not a ton to do. So sitting at home <laughs> in your underwear, picking out stocks, I guess is something that a lot of people like to do. And I found yeah. that 37% number absolutely fascinating. I mean, yeah. that is a big number. If you ask me, they mispriced the value of the stimulus check. Oh yeah, absolutely. Rather than 1400, maybe it should be a thousand. Then nobody would be saving any money into stocks, right? So now, D, when we talk about people taking their stimulus money and investing into stocks, I can look at this two different ways too. I can look at this negatively and I can say, well, this is stupid. These people don't need the money. They should send it back or they should donate it to charity. I could take that position and go negative on it, but I could also take a positive position and say, this is really a nice gift to these younger generations, a gift that you and I never had, right? I mean, the government never gave me 1400 bucks. They never gave a family of four, 5,600 bucks. We never had those opportunities. And what it's doing for these younger generations is it is giving them an opportunity to experience, taste, smell capitalism, experience, taste, smell success, and what it means to invest in the stock market and get a couple wins. Like once you invest in the stock market and you get a couple wins under your belt, it's addictive. So looking at it negatively, these people didn't need the money. Maybe they should have sent it back, which no one's going to do that because no. it's going to come out of your future tax bill. That's just kind of a woulda, shoulda, coulda. But looking at it positively, this is training two young generations of stock market investors the value of actually paying yourself first, beginning to save, and taking an interest in the stock market. So there's. Do you agree? There's really two ways to look at it. Absolutely. And I would probably lean more towards the second take where it is, it really is on the fly training for something when we look back at our lives that we never got, whether it's 40% of that 1400 bucks or all of the $1,400, we never got free money to invest in the stock market. And we also never got free money to invest in the market when you know, basically it's going kind of straight up. Yeah. <laughs> and there's been bad days in there for sure. But especially starting off and ending 20, beginning of 21, had a real nice run. And especially in stocks that people know, you know, yeah. I think that's a big part of the reopen trade. And we'll get into a couple of stocks here, but you know, really it's, it's a lot of common sense stuff that's going into fueling you people buying stocks, yeah. buying things like airlines, buying things like hotels, buying things like Boeing, maybe for the economy reopening. So people are educating themselves on the fly. And we've been big into education for a long time. And I think it's a really good thing. 
Yeah, I think it's awesome. Now, I've got kind of an interesting take. So, D, I agree with you on, I think this is more positive than negative. That's the spin of today's show is how to make something of a good situation, not of a crappy situation. So, this is a positive outlook here. But I kind of have an interesting take on these newer investors and how they should invest this money. And my take is don't step up to the plate and swing for the fences. There is a psychological effect at work right here. If I, back when I was playing baseball, if I would have stepped up to the plate the entire first season I played and struck out every time, I would have never played again. I'd have quit. Instead, I stepped up to the plate and I got quite a few hits. I was pretty decent, right? So I continued to play throughout childhood into high school and so on and so forth. I think the same thing goes with investing. If you take your 1400 bucks and you buy a bunch of like Tesla or GameStop call options that could potentially expire worthless and you lose 100% of your money, your tail might end up between your legs and you might quit the game. You might not play again. As opposed to finding some easy wins, finding the easy victories, and just buying some of those stocks so that psychologically you can stack some early wins, right? Like Apple. Dude, I doubt Apple's going to 10x over the next two or three years, but who the heck am I, right? I didn't think it was going to 3x over the last two years, and it did. Apple, that's an easy win. And we're going to go through a list of, what do we have, 11 stocks here? Yeah, 11 recovery stocks that could get a stimulus spark. Most of these, D, I would consider to be easy, possible wins. Now, we're just going to throw some names out here because we're stealing it from Kiplinger's. I'm not saying that we are advocates of any of these stocks. We are just discussing how to stack some easy wins and some things that you should be looking for so that you can psychologically fall in love with investing. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point too, because when people are getting into the game and they have done so you know, largely through social media, just you mentioned GameStop, you don't have to get you know, 100, 300, 500% return in a week to win in the stock yeah. market, right? That's not how it's supposed <laughs> to work. So if you're getting some of these, you know, more solid names at a, you know, pre-reopen price and you can stack together some nice wins, you can see some stocks steadily go up. You can be making 10, 12% in your first year. If those are wins, you know, and that's how you can design your strategy for more of the long haul. Yep. I agree, man. All right. So let's get into these and we'll just since we've already uh, spent 10 minutes talking about nothing. Um, <laughs> let's get into these 11 recovery stocks. We'll keep it brief. I'm going to go through them, D, and let's each throw in our two cents. Now, disclaimer, we haven't done any research on any of these companies prior to this podcast. Mm -hmm. And we certainly, while we're talking about what these companies conceptually do and how money investment dollars may flow into these stocks as a way to stack some easy wins. We have not looked at the valuation of any of these companies. And for all of our listeners, you know how important valuation is. You know how much we believe price matters. So price aside, we are just talking the concept about what these companies do and why we think there's a possibility that dollars flow into these stocks is way to play the recovery through the $1,400 stimulus checks. Right. And these are also companies that could benefit from people spending their stimulus checks at these businesses. Yeah. So what was it? 37% is going towards the stock market, right? So 63% is getting spent on something else. Right. right? <laughs> and actually half of respondents between 25 and 34. So that's, I think, a little bit of Gen Z, Derek, and then maybe it dips into like the younger millennials too. Half of those respondents plan to invest 50% of their checks 
in the stock market. And those are people where you'd expect their incomes are a little lower and their expenses might be a little higher, but 50% are planning to invest 50%. That's 25% of that money, mm-hmm. right? Going into the stock market. So let's get into the first one. First one is Expedia. So obviously this is your platform where you can book your flights, your hotels, your rental cars, all that stuff. And it shops around all the different airlines, hotels, and stuff like that to make recommendations to you and package these travel packages together. Now, D, you just went on a trip. I'm planning on going on spring break next week. People are beginning to travel again. Yep. I actually went to Orlando because my mom has a house down there for the wintertime. She's much smarter than I am. (laughs) It was beautiful, 80 degrees. But yeah, the airport was something I was interested in seeing how it was because I had heard that the spring break Disney crowd was going to be big. But we flew out on a Wednesday. The Cleveland airport was pretty dead, honestly. Not like completely ghost town dead, but definitely still below what I would expect it to be in a normal year. Orlando, coming home on a Sunday, I was kind of scared (laughs) at how that was going to go. And it was crowded, but definitely nowhere near peak Orlando airport. And I've had some bad days at that airport. However, when I went, we didn't go into the actual parks, but uh, a couple of hotels around it, there was definitely some traffic there. So I think as these vaccines get out, travel is number one on just about everybody's list. <laughs> so yep. this is a company that would benefit from that. And, and they do a nice job in the space too. I've actually used them many times. So yeah, definitely a good name to keep in mind. I like it too. Next up is Bank of America. So look, man, banks have been rallying because of the increase in interest rates. Mm-hmm. So low interest rates have been a headwind to banks for a while, but with interest rates seeming to be on the rise, this gives banks an opportunity to make a little bit of money, right? Yep. So Bank of America, when you look at the big money center banks, Bank of America seems to have a bit of an edge as it relates to Obviously, they're more of a consumer bank than an investment Mm -hmm. bank. In fact, it's all they really do. They've got Merrill Lynch, but I don't even know if Merrill Lynch is really a big player anymore, to be honest with you. And that's not a knock on Merrill. You just, you don't hear much about them anymore. But Bank of America seems to have an edge as the world continues to drive towards digital. Yep. So when it comes to their digital banking, they seem to be slightly ahead of their peers, which could, you know, obviously, I think anyone in that 25 to what was the age range? 25 to 35? 34, maybe. 25 to 30, something like that. So, you know, obviously those people are probably going to appreciate the digital movement more than let's say a baby boomer might. Right. All right. Moving on to number three, Anheuser-Busch InBev. All right, dude, I get it. Go out and buy some more (laughs) beer, you know? Yeah. So this was one that didn't really make sense to me when I first looked at it because I was like, hey, you know, isn't, Hasn't pretty much everyone just been drinking at home for the last year. But, you know, as I dove into it, Anheuser-Busch was definitely negatively impacted by people not going out to live sporting events, for sure. That's because Um, they've got a lot of on-premise revenue, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's stadiums, restaurants, yeah, man, it's a big deal. Yep, absolutely. So I think the whole country is looking forward to getting back to sporting live sporting events. You know, we got a little (laughs) bit of it last year. And we can't get too far into each one of these names, but this one does look very appetizing. And they also have a picture of the uh, Browns victory fridge. So that brings back memories back when the Browns were really bad. Now they're a Super Bowl contender. (laughs) They are. They're legit. 
They which really moves are. us into the next one, D, Coca-Cola. Same thesis as Anheuser-Busch InBev, right? Right. Same yep. exact thesis, Coca-Cola. Pepsi has obviously fared better than Coca-Cola throughout the pandemic because if you think of Pepsi, Mountain Dew, I'm pretty sure Mountain Dew is a Pepsi beverage. But yeah, I mean, those are you find those in bottles. They're not always in the soft drink machine at your nearest Longhorn Steakhouse or mm-hmm. Olive Garden. Coca-Cola is the go-to in on-premise dining and at stadiums and movie theaters and all that stuff. So same thesis there. Coca-Cola is likely to see a rebound. But D, as we're kind of going through and mentioning a lot of these rebounds, I think it's important to point out, I talked to a prospective client yesterday, the stock market, every single one of these stocks is not pricing in the world as it exists today. It's pricing in the world as it exists six to 12 months from today. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you look at Coca-Cola's stock, like it should be looking at a reopening. A lot of that should already be priced in. So I just, I want to make sure we mention that so that we're not saying you're getting in at the bottom on any of these by any means, right? right? They just have the potential to continue running because they've got some momentum on their side, which Mm -hmm. leads us into the next one, Southwest Airlines, love. So that is the most domestic and regional focused airline, major airline out there. And it's mostly consumer travel as opposed to business travel. Right. So you look at like United, American Airlines, Delta, they're going to have more international flights. They're going to have more business class and first class customers, more business travel that D, business travel, it's not going to zero, but it might be cut in half permanently by 50-ish percent. Maybe it's cut by 30%. Maybe it's cut by 70%. But mm-hmm. I do think you are going to see a permanent decrease in business travel now that people do business over Zoom. Absolutely. And that's what I was thinking about while I was in the airport. I was like, hey, you know, people are traveling for vacation now, but I'm sure no one is traveling for business. And that really hits all the notes for Southwest. So that's a company I definitely like. I'm jumping ahead to Alaska Air. I don't think there's much we need to say there because it's Mm -hmm. basically the same as Southwest, right? It's more of a regional airline. Yep. And I would suspect that people who didn't get to go on vacation last year, they're looking for the big blowout vacations too. So those are last cruises up there. That'll be a hot ticket when those open back up. Yep. All right. Let's see. Archer Daniels Midland. I really don't have much comment on this one. Yeah, let's skip that one. <laughs> it's just not a very exciting name and we're limited on time. So let's skip that one. That brings us to Disney. Now, did you go to Disney World when you were in Orlando? So my wife and I stayed at a Disney property, the Riviera. It's a new one. I actually left my kids at my mom's house. So we went to a Disney hotel. And then the next day we brought the kids over because they have a nice splash pad and pool and everything. So yeah, didn't go into the actual (laughs) parks. Actually, they were sold out. I heard you got to get like a reservation. So that's good because I'm supposed to go to Orlando on Friday and I really don't want to go to Disney World. So (laughs) I don't think my wife has any reservation. So I might dodge that bullet, which is nice. Yeah. If you don't have a reservation now, I think you have officially dodged it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't go in, but yeah, you know, it's what I've heard. Don't quote me on this, but especially with restaurants and the capacity issue, right? What is 100% capacity? What I came to understand by talking with people down in Orlando was that they just didn't want more than 50% of the maximum capacity of actual people in the park, but they could keep taking reservations till the cows came home. So Disney getting a bump from the parks opening is something I can definitely see happening. And again, that Disney for a lot of people is the one big vacation of the year because it's so darn expensive. 
they've been kind of pushed up from Disney Plus over the past 12 months or so, but their parks and their merchandising, that's their bread and butter. And I think a lot of it's already priced in, but for this conversation, it makes a lot of sense to be on this list. I agree. I mean, Disney's got to be, what, 50% above its pre-COVID level? I'm just pulling that number out of thin air. It's probably pretty close to up 50% from pre-COVID level. So the reopening is 100% priced, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, right? Now, some people or Disney bulls are going to say, well, you know, look at their streaming service. Yeah, they still lose money on streaming. I mean, what are they charging? Five, six bucks a month? I mean, they are losing Mm -hmm. money on it. So I think the key for them is the reopen. But again, to echo what you said, I think a lot of that's already priced in. All right, moving forward. Gaming and leisure properties. You know, I don't even want to talk about that one. Gaming and leisure <laughs> properties, GLPI is a REIT. I would rather talk, D, about MGM and Caesars. Yep. Because you and I both love going to Vegas. <laughs> so We do. Why would I want to talk about gaming and leisure properties and the REIT that owns probably most of these casinos mm-hmm. when I can talk about MGM and Caesars, which I actually talked about this on TV yesterday. You and I are both Dave Portnoy fans, right? Mm-hmm. We like Barstool owned Penn National Gaming for quite some time. But when I look at what happened with Penn National, there's been a lot of allure in that stock because of the Barstool Sportsbook, right? Their shift towards online gambling, which goes far beyond their little regional casinos in Dubuque, Iowa, or wherever the heck they're at, right? I mean, they've got these little regional casinos all over the place. One they do have on the Vegas Strip, Penn National Gaming, D is Tropicana. If it comes down to staying at the MGM or Caesars or the Tropicana, where would you prefer to stay, D? MGM. Me too. Me too. <laughs> now, I'll take Caesars as well, but I tell you where I will not stay is Tropicana. I will not be there. I stayed there actually for uh, your bachelor party a long time ago. We've had a lot of bachelor parties there, D. A lot of them. <laughs> yep. We are having to upgrade by the time I got married though. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. All right. So moving forward, let's go on to hotels. So this list shows Wyndham. And I guess when I'm checking out the status of hotels, I typically check on Marriott. I'm a Marriott Bonvoy Rewards member dating back to when I was going to New York all the time. My preferred hotel chain is Westland for two reasons, D. When you were traveling as much as I was, which was, I mean, I was out of town like 10 nights a month, probably. You want to feel as comfortable as possible. So the thing I like about the Westin is number one, all of their fitness centers are pretty much identical. So they outfit them with all the same types of equipment, free weight. So I was very comfortable. Feel I'm a routine guy. So I was comfortable waking up and knowing that I could go and get my typical morning workout done in the Weston gym. And the second reason is they're Weston beds. So their beds, in my opinion, are the most comfortable. Their pillows, on the other hand, are amongst the worst in the world. I like a firmer pillow. The Weston pillows, they're, you know, you lay on them and they puff up around your ears. Yeah. No support. You need at like all. three of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're still like sinking. So I'm not a big fan of the Weston pillows. I really wish they would give you an option to pick some firmer pillows when you check in. So this one is the Wyndham. And I would expect that if I looked at Wyndham versus Marriott D, Wyndham's probably lagging Marriott's performance. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Marriott probably rebounded faster. Yep, for sure. And I think that's because it's more of the, the high end. Looks like the brands for the Wyndham include La Quinta, Ramada, Super 8, and Travel Lodge. And I guess this does make sense in theory. You're going to get a lot more business travelers and the more economical hotels than just the vacationers. Yep. Perfect. All right. We're on to our last one, which we really don't even have to mention either, is VICI Properties, another REIT that owns Vegas properties. So this particular REIT just bought Venetian on the Strip 
from right. Las Vegas Sands, LVS. Las Vegas Sands is a stock we own in our portfolio. Las Vegas Sands, believe it or not, I do not think they own a single casino in Vegas anymore, despite their name. I think oh, they're really? 100% Macau focused. Don't quote me on that. That's I'm hearing that from our investment team that's done a heck of a lot more research on it than I have. But I want to say they sold the rest of their strip properties. So they are that's more of a Macau play, which is growing way faster than Vegas, by the way. Oh, yeah. Plus, you have the growing middle class in China, Las Vegas Sands, as opposed to the Wynn also has a presence out there. The Wynn is more for like the high rollers, if right. you think about it, D, whereas mm-hmm. Las Vegas Sands is going to be for that growing middle class. So yeah, I've kind of pivoted away from VICI properties, which was another REIT, into Las Vegas Sands and the potential yep. there, right? Mm-hmm. That's more of the Asian recovery as opposed to the US-based recovery. Yep. All right. So that wraps up today's show. As always, thanks for joining us. If you have any questions, email us at info at swpconnect.com. Give us those five-star reviews. They're still coming in. We appreciate it. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate you listening. D, let's see that hoodie, dude. One more. more. Give us a five-star review. You get the Capitalist Investor hoodie. Now we're running low on sizes. So you better get that review in so that we can hook (laughs) you up with Brittany and Brittany can find you one of our last few remaining sizes. Like I said earlier, you can wear a hoodie all summer long. No big deal. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, it's Mark. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Look, if you wouldn't mind, please go to your podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use, and give us a five-star rating and review. You know, the best way for us to continue to educate and enlighten every single one of you is for more and more people to know about us, and your review would help us with that. Also, we've had quite a few listeners reach out to us lately asking about financial planning. So we've decided to offer a special to every single one of our listeners. It's a $495 comprehensive financial plan. No strings attached. You don't have to move your investments under our management. We're not going to use the plan as a gimmick to sell you a product. There's absolutely no hidden agenda and no further obligation on your part. You just get great conflict-free advice from us. And all you have to do is visit your495plan.com. That's your495plan.com. Fill out your info. One of our certified financial planners will reach out and begin to build out your plan. Visit your495plan.com today.